I'm Arlen Hamilton, and this is Your First Million. I'm a venture capitalist. I started my fund Backstage Capital from the ground up while I was on food stamps. I have now invested in more than 100 companies led by women, people of color, and LGBT founders. After having raised more than $10 million, people often ask me how I did it. I created this podcast so I could tell you my story and so that together we could go on a journey and speak with some of the most successful people in the world from all backgrounds and walks of life to learn how they got their first million. And who knows, maybe I'll reach my first million in personal capital while I'm recording this series. There's only one way to find out. Let's go. Hey, welcome back to your first million. It's Arlen. Wow. Okay. So we're right back in it. I am delighted to introduce you to Sahil from Gumroad. He founded Gumroad, as you'll hear in the interview, he founded it uh, as a weekend kind of hackathon, a personal hackathon, basically. A few years ago, it now doles out millions and millions of dollars to creators. And I love this episode. I think over the past couple of weeks, I've read more than once from you all, from the from the audience here, that you're digging your first million. I mean, the love is, as always, is wonderful. There's a little bit of feedback, though, on, hey, okay, in each episode, we hear a lot of the details of how people felt. We hear that story, that personal story, which is really awesome. And in a lot of cases, we do, we do hear the how. But can we dive even deeper into that? And so I heard you, and Sahil was the perfect person to start really diving in more. He's very um, open. He's like an open source. You know, you think about open source technology and, and information. He himself is open source because... He gives a lot of free game out online. He gives it on Twitter, on Medium, on blog posts, and just by virtue of his company, he does that. And and this interview really showcases that. So this is for anyone who wants to know the ins and outs of how he, how a person could go from being in high school one moment and the next moment having a tech company that earns millions of dollars per year. And as you'll see in the, uh, in the interview, it's not really like that, not overnight, but it definitely is impressive and exciting. And it wasn't all rosy. It was a lot of heartache in between. If this is the very first episode you're ever listening to, because maybe you're a friend of Sahil's or you just stumbled across it or you're finally giving it a chance because you've seen it so much on your Twitter and your Instagram feed, I thank you, first of all, and welcome. And second of all, I encourage you to go back and listen to a couple more episodes in the past because I think you're going to like them. They're all very fresh. They're all very new from June of 2019 and onward. As I sit here in October 2019, they're very fresh, and I think you can get a lot out of them. So you don't have to wait for the next new episode to get your fill. You can do it now. If you are a longtime listener, thank you. Hey, if you've listened to every episode, every episode, including the bonus episodes, I want you to write to me 
at Arlen, A-R-L-A-N, Hamilton, H-A-M-I-L-T-O-N, at Gmail. Arlen Hamilton at Gmail. And I want you to write the subject, all first million. Okay, I'm just making that up right now. All, A-L-L, first million. And just tell me that you've listened to all episodes. And if you have, and be honest, this is the honor system. If you have, and you have not yet received a t-shirt because you left a, a comment, which you can hear more about later in this episode, and you want a free shirt or maybe some other sort of surprise gift I send out, send your t-shirt size, your full name, your mailing address, and let me know that you've listened to all episodes up until this one. And it's just a little fun we're having. You still have time to become that, to become that podcast VIP, as the t-shirt says. And listen to as much as you can. Spread it too. Like, let your friends know. Um, we have like, as soon as we put an episode up, we have just incredible amount of support that happens, which has been like crazy to watch happen. We put the we put the episodes up within 24 hours. It's just boom, immediate feedback and immediately has been listened to a ton of times. And so I want to now spend the time, we've spent so much time developing the quality of what we do here at the podcast, I want to now think about how do we spread that to more people? How can more people hear it? More and more people hear it, perhaps get something from it. And I need your help to do that. So just let people know to take a listen, keep listening yourself, and keep sending that feedback because I hear you. All right, y'all, you're in for a treat. I'll see you on the other side. My name is Sahil Lavingia, and I'm the founder and CEO of Gumroad. How do you describe Gumroad to people? I tell people that Gumroad helps creators sell content on the internet so that they can do more of what they love. So we help musicians, designers, writers, filmmakers, stand-up comedians, photographers, anyone that makes stuff on their computer. We make it really easy for them to take that stuff, upload it on the internet, sell it directly to their audiences, take the vast majority of the revenue. Just as a uh, disclosure, you have invested in Backstage, the fund mm-hmm. that I manage yep. and in the past, one of the earlier investors, <laughs> kind of midway through investors. You know, one of the things that recent feedback I've gotten about the podcast, because we get really cool feedback. And one of the things that people said is like, can we go even deeper on the hows? Because this is called your first million. So people want to know more and more about how exactly you made the first million. And of course, when it comes from what I love about your story is that we're talking revenue and we're talking income. And in some cases, yes, we're talking about uh, raising capital, but you have all three stories to talk about. Mm-hmm. Let's start from the top just to kind of give people a level set. Is Gumroad is still up and running? It's still doing its thing? Yeah, we're doing, we're at $6 million in revenue a year now, 38% gross margin. So we're cash flow positive, we're EBITDA profitable. Uh, it's a great business. It took eight years to get there. We started the company in 2011, did the whole venture back thing, raised a $1.1 million seed round and then a $7 million Series A right after that. Okay, well, let's stop there. Let's stop there. Let's go yes. back. So it's, how old are you now? I'm 27. In 2019, you're 27. Super yeah. young. <laughs> so you started this way. I don't want to do the math because the math is hard. 19. You started this at 19 years old. Were yeah. you in school? Were you in some sort of school? Were you dropped out? What was the deal? So I went to USC for school, not too far from here, and lasted four months uh, before I dropped out, joined Pinterest as employee number two. And so I started Gumroad as a weekend project while I was working at Pinterest and eventually just took that full time. What were you doing at Pinterest? So 
primarily I designed and built Pinterest for iPhone. So that was my big project. At this young age as a teenager, how did you learn how to design for iPhone? I mean, you're saying it like as casual as can be. It sounds like a... I can't talk any other way. Well, they kind of, <laughs> it sounds like a really intense uh, talent to have. Was it just self-taught at home? You figured it out like many engineers do? or I mean, where did the, even the interest come in? Yeah. So I started as a designer. So I started learning web design and logo design, just, you know, messing around with Photoshop, Googling around for how to do like weird text effects and, you know, these sorts of things in Photoshop. And I think I wanted to buy some Xbox games or something. So, you know, I, I tried to figure out how I could make money doing it, which is typically a pretty good indication that this thing is going to be interesting. And so I started doing uh, just freelance web design. I'd, I'd find clients uh, in just different forums back in, you know, just probably like 2000 six or seven or something like that and did that for a long time and in inevitably you know you do enough service work for other folks you have you start having your own ideas and so i start having my own ideas for web apps that i wanted to build and i'd basically do the design for them and then i'd through these same forums i'd find developers to build it out for me and i think just as a cost saving mechanism i was just like i can learn a code i can do this you know i'm they they send me the code that they make i use that on the website so i see everything they're doing mm -hmm. so i'm just sort of learning by osmosis and then the iPhone came out and that was as a, as a sort of a, sort of a design minded person, I feel like the web is like 20% front end, 80% back end and making iPhone apps is like 80% front end, 20% back. And it's mostly the UI layer. Right. And so as a designer, I was like, I can do this. I can totally learn how to do this. What does UI mean for those who don't know? So UI means user interface. So basically any, anything that you on, on the glass screen of your, of your phone um, is sort of UI. Uh, UX user experience as well. And I started just designing my own apps and I found this course on iTunes University free uh, that's, that Stanford put up their, their iOS development course called CS193P taught by Evan Dahl. I spent basically one summer in between, I think junior and senior year of high school, two, two and a half weeks, just every single day I'd wake up, watch sort of like the Monday lecture, do the assignment watch the Thursday lecture, eat lunch, I think, do watch the Thursday lecture, do the assignment. So I was basically doing every day I was trying to do a week worth of school um, because, you know, roughly a semester of school is around 12 to 14 weeks of class. So in two weeks, I I did the the whole the whole uh, Stanford course, which, you know, some students pay thousands and thousands of dollars to do. It's available for free. It's still available for, for free. I think it's been updated since. So there's a new teacher, right, for the for the new stuff. But it's, it's amazing what you can learn on the internet. And so I, after that, I just started making my own apps. I made a, a Twitter client called Twizzle. Um, Twizzle. Twizzle. What did Twizzle do? Was it candy? I'm not very good at names, I think. <laughs> Gumroad is pretty darn good. Thank you. Yeah. It's become, I think it's become good over time, you know. But uh, it was just, a, it was just a, a Twitter client. I wanted to make a Twitter client. Twitter at that point had this phenomenally open API. And so I just started making apps and and, and that got me the attention of Pinterest. And that's how I, I got the job at Pinterest doing consulting for them. I think the first, the app that I first built for them, I charged them like $8,000 for, for the first version of Pinterest for iPhone. Wasn't enough to actually get everything done. And so I ended up joining full time, took a leave of absence from school and then moved up to the Bay Area. From where? From LA, from USC. From LA. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So did you grow up here? I grew up in um, primarily in Singapore. Okay. Yeah. That's to immigrant parents thing. from India. Through New York, yeah. So your your parents are from India. You mm -hmm. were born where? Uh, I was born in on Long Island. Yes. Yeah. And near then you Levittown. moved to Singapore. Mm -hmm. Yeah. My my uh, my dad got a job working for a Deutsche Bank in Singapore. Okay. And then came 
back to LA, went mm-hmm. to start a school there. Yeah. Pinterest came calling after you t- kind of self-taught all this time. Did you go start college early? Uh, roughly the same, same as everybody else. Okay. Yeah. 18. And then you're at Pinterest for how long? I was only there for uh, nine months, I think. Nine months, but yeah. I mean, in startup world, in that time, especially that's a, that's a, almost a lifetime. That's that's a lot. It fe- I know it's a, it's it felt like a lot, and it it just because Pinterest becomes so, so massive now. Yeah, it's, what it feels year like were a they? Large in? Part of my identity. What year would they have been in at that point? So they have a, a really interesting story that doesn't get a lot of airtime because Ben is such a quiet person. Uh, he's he's like frustratingly nice sometimes. Yeah. He's like the kind of guy that like you punch him in the face and he'll apologize. <laughs> <laughs> don't try that. For getting don't, in the way. Don't, don't do that. that. Don't do that. But. Uh, they, so, so they started the company, I think, called Brew Labs in 2008, and then they went through a bunch of different products, or at least at least one that I know of, and I think maybe one or two before that. And then they landed on Pinterest, I believe, in uh, February of 2010, and then mm-hmm. I joined full-time January 2011. Could you tell back then that there was a magic happening there, or yes. did it look just like... Well, I, it's hard. it's hard to say, because I felt like there was magic happening there. But I remember there was this one meeting and there was like maybe three or four employees at, at that point. And I remember being, I was like, this thing's going to be huge. Like we just closed the series A. I think that's what we were talking about. And so they just raised 10, 10 million from Bessemer. And I was like, this is going to be massive. Like this is going to be a billion dollar company. Like I was so certain. And I remember one of the other employees, I won't mention his name, but just because I don't know if he wants me to mention this, but he was like, I've done it to startups. <laughs> yeah it always looks like this. it always looks great and then it and then i was like no man and but I, you know i was like an 18 year old kid this is my first go around i had no idea but i was so bullish so i think part of it was the naivety which i think you need a healthy amount of if you want to do startups because the odds are just statistically not yeah. in your favor which doesn't mean you shouldn't try you should just sort of temper your expectations a little bit and i remember so i i grew up in singapore so i wasn't super exposed to startup land and then when I went to USC, one of the big reasons I chose USC is because it was in California. It was close, as close as I could really get to San Francisco. I couldn't get into Berkeley or Stanford. And I was super disappointed with how little of a startup culture there was at USC at the time. I think I met one person that semester who knew what Hacker News was, which is like sort of the paper of record for, for Silicon Valley in a sense. And so when I met Ben and Paul uh, from, from Pinterest, I was just like enraptured. Because it yeah. was like the first time I really felt like I could just be myself in that way and just talk about product, talk about design. We were messing around with Instagram. I think Instagram had just sort of was still new. And my first Instagram post is actually from that meeting. It's probably still bourbon at that point or whatever. Yeah, it, was, it was it was early then. days. They had probably two or three employees at the time. Mm-hmm. They were every You know, fall 2010-ish. Yeah. It was a great time. It's like the 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 heyday of uh, the Hollywood Brat Pack or something. Yeah. <laughs> That's what it feels like. Yeah. So- you're there for nine months. Is that you said on the on the weekends? You're you're now coming across this idea of gum. What Gumroad will become? Mm-hmm. Talk about the impetus of that. Yeah. So one Friday night, I was designing. I was learning how to design these photo realistic icon designs. You know, like Mac app icons in the dock uh, in Photoshop. And I spent three or four hours, I think, designing a pencil, a sort of a three D photorealistic pencil. And at the end of it, I was like, I just wish I had this asset you know, this full of these layers and everything four hours ago, it would have taken me 15 minutes to learn how to do this. And that sparked this thing like, Oh, like how much is three and a half hours of my time worth? Like at least a dollar. So I'll try selling it for a dollar on the internet and see what happens. And I couldn't do it. Like there wasn't really a way for me to sell this thing on the internet. It's a digital product, right? There's, it's a sort of a file. If I wanted to share it for free, it would have been super easy. Use Bitly or Dropbox or I built this other 
project in my free time called Crate. And the minute I wanted to attach a price tag to it, it became impossible. So I pinged Not a friend. Not that there was no interest, just there was no mechanism. There was no mechanism. To do this thing you want to do, which yeah. is sell a file basically Correct. online to other people quickly. And easily. Exactly. Exactly. And when you have the thing you want to sell and when you have the audience waiting for you on the other side of Twitter or Dribbble or any of these sites that you might have an audience in, your blog, your newsletter, it just felt weird that there was no thing connecting those two dots. And so I, I pinged uh, a friend of mine who I just met, John from Stripe, and said, hey, like, the, and this at this point, I, I think Gummer is probably like user number 50 or something of Stripe because they hadn't launched yet. They were still in super private beta. And you're, uh, before you move on, you're kind of dropping these names as if it sounds, it may sound to some people a little from a place of privilege, but to me, you're, you're more, you're a hacker. You're more of a in the dirt kind of guy. So you would have just met John Collison of Stripe, not because you were at the same school or hanging out at the same country club, but you both were probably on some website working on some stuff. I'll tell, yeah. And I'm happy to, I will literally every single person I mentioned, if you ask me how I met them, I'm happy to go into it. Not necessarily, but I just want to bring that out yeah. to people because it can sound a little bit like oh well that's why there's success there because I he see, knew all I these see. guys yeah. no it's no, more like yeah. you were you're working because what i'm hearing more is that you you're putting in the ten thousand hours i'm putting in the ten thousand hours i'm i just really love you know it's easy to say now like you know learning ios in 2009 was probably a good decision right yeah. uh but I was just genuinely like, how I want to make stuff. What's the easiest way for me to make stuff? Oh, the app store lets me make stuff and then not have to worry about all the financial stuff. Apple will deal with that. I can do that. I live in Singapore. I can't participate in so many of these things that exist here, but at least the app store was, was, was a global thing because Apple at that point was already a global company. And I don't know. It's hard. I was meeting someone yesterday and he was talking about how he had a similar mindset about JavaScript. He was uh, Guillermo from, a, from Zite. And he's just always been obsessed with JavaScript and it's, he's had a very successful career and he continues to. And I think sometimes it's just finding out what you really love, what you have a, a deep passion for. And if you're early and you really put in the work, you put in those 10,000 hours, you'll find these relationships because there are other people that want to do that too. And like Ben sent me an email, John actually reached out to me, I believe, uh, and we grabbed lunch in Palo Alto. I think the the email was something like, hey, we're both like 18 years old living in Palo Alto, yeah. working on startups. Yeah. There's like seven of us. You do, know, do you think like that, that same sort of kismet can happen today? It may, maybe not necessarily in Palo Alto, but maybe I, I'm going to answer my own question. It sounds like that yeah. sort of kismet that has created so many beautiful things since is the same thing that can now happen in other nascent communities. I, I, I believe that strongly because I remember living in Palo Alto feeling like I missed the boat. Because yeah. I remember, for me, there was a different era. It was like Kevin Rose and Dig and yeah. Dignation, Jack Dorsey and Twitter and Ev Williams. And they all knew each other. Like, they, you know, you'd see photos of a wedding posted on Twitter and they're all there. Yeah. Hanging out. Or and hot I was like, tub oh, or whatever. I, yeah, yeah. I missed out. For I sure. missed the boat. And now it was funny. You know, now people tell me, that, like, feel like that now. Like, oh, you know all these people. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, by the way, like, 10 years from now, there's going to be another person telling you that if you... Yeah invest in in yourself and 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 your abilities Absolutely. today because the world is growing and it's happening more and more and more and more and it might not look identical it might not happen geographically in the same positions or on the same forums the same websites but i'm so bullish on the fact that we're in the early days of almost everything and also if you're not around those hot spots or hotbeds you can create your own infrastructure your own rat pack situation by connecting with 
like-minded peers and hopefully some not like-minded peers and and build that yourself just through conversation and connection i want to drop you right back into the story you were saying about talking to john once you discovered i want to sell this file to whomever for a dollar yeah so he, he gave me an account i signed up and basically saturday sunday i just spent i think 22 hours or something building Gumroad, designing it and and shipping it using, uh, and th- at this point I was not that great of a web engineer. I was pretty competent on the iOS side. And because of Pinterest, I had to sort of do a little bit of work on the API side mm-hmm. to make the app work. I was a little bit familiar with Django and Python. And so I used App Engine, Google App Engine, which I think is rebranded now to Google Cloud. And they had these tutorials on how to make a CRUD app. So I literally, like Gumroad is a glorified CRUD app. You create products, you update products, edit products, you delete products, and you sh- show products, you enter in credit card information, it's a form submit, Ajax form submit to Stripe. It's a very, very, very simple service, at least on the onset. And uh, so I was able to build the whole thing in a weekend. And then I launched Monday morning. I woke up and the first thing I did was copy paste all the sort of the text I'd, I'd written for like the Hacker News post and the blog post, et cetera, the tweet. And then did that, you know, six, seven in the morning or something. And then biked, biked to work, biked to Pinterest. And it blew up. It was number one on Hacker News. 50,000 people visited that first day. Because I think they saw that they, it was it was almost like if it was too complicated, it would have just been like, oh, it's another startup, it's another business. Mm-hmm. But the fact that it was like it was just so raw, mm-hmm. they could just look. It was like almost transparent, like they could just see the idea, the crux of the idea, right there, because there was not much to distract them, not n- not a ton of pretty pixels or gradients or any of that stuff. And also, the thing really that you exciting. were solving for sounded like it was a pain point for a lot of people. I mean, I, I remember yeah. back then during that time, I would have been trying to sell things for my my blog. Yeah. You would embed PayPal, mm-hmm. add to carts and this and that, yeah. but there was nothing like Gumroad that I can remember. It was then. all, it was all pay. And that was the thing is I remember, I remember doing some research trying to sell the, the pencil icon and it was just basically different services that will allow you to all basically just add a PayPal button to your website, which mandates a, a website, which right. already at that point was starting to go away where people had a Twitter account. And that was it. Yeah. That was like their thing. They had they were on these different social websites. They didn't need a website anymore. So when you saw that fifty thousand people on Hacker News, it was number one. You said, "What did you think?" I felt like my expectations were being validated. I really felt like this was. I think I tweeted like I just had the idea for my first billion dollar company. Yeah, because I was so confident that there was something super profound in making it possible to sell any file, any piece of content. And how much value that would would unlock for people. And when I saw the 50,000, I was like, oh, I was correct. Yeah. At least to some level, there's something here. There's something worth exploring here. And I remember I would ship weekend projects all the time, mm-hmm. almost every couple of weeks, I think. And that was the first time where I wanted to, I looked forward to the, to the weekend so I could work on the same project, mm-hmm. not a new project. Mm-hmm. Um, that was the last weekend project I think I, I worked on because I was just like, there's something really compelling here. And for a variety of reasons, and I think this will appear later in the conversation as well, but I think I was just, there were all these things I'd built, right? And people would use them and they do okay. But this was the first one that had anything to do with helping people earn a living. And that I think was what made me so interested in this problem specifically. And I think that has paid off in dividends since. And then do you immediately think, okay, because you thought it's just, I may have come stumbled upon a billion dollar idea here. Mm-hmm. Do you immediately go all in on it and make it your number one priority and then start thinking about how does this become a company? Or was there time in between? There was time in between around six months. 
And I, I think it's because I didn't really know like the path to doing that. Like, how do you start a company? How do you raise money? How do you do any of these things? You know, I had seen Pinterest do some of this stuff and I was, you know, Ben was, was gracious enough to sort of invite me to some of these meetings. So I had some context, but what changed things were people would reach out to me, investors would reach out to me and say, Hey, are you going to start a company? Like, this is a company. It, like just, this is like one step away from being, being a company. And I had always thought, I guess, that the product was like a part of a much larger sort of thing called a company. But all these people were telling me like, that's the easy part. Like that, if you have a product, like you can, you can figure this stuff out. Yeah, if there's the, interest The product here. is the hard part. The product market fit is the hard part, but the putting together, we can find someone to help you put the company together. Yeah. We've done, they do this all day, yeah, every day. Yeah. You know? What were some of the things people were selling early on? What was um, really resonating with people? Well, the, the the funny thing is, I don't even know if it really resonated with anybody because I look back at the early numbers and I mean, people were, were messing around selling things, but like a lot of icons and, and PSD files and source code and stuff. But I think it, it took a while, some music as well. Music was probably the first industry that I think latched onto it. Mm -hmm. I think music is, is always a little bit um, on edge with the, mm -hmm. like the, the, they're always looking for, for ways to, 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 to do better. Um, and so they were super willing to try stuff out, sell MP3s. I think Imagine Dragons was was one of the first yeah. musicians to use Gumroad um, to distribute some content. Rihanna maybe as well. Um, Diplo was was early, and um, and that that it, it, but it was it was like I was I I almost like didn't even care about the usage. I was just like, there's something profound here. Um, I'm just I just need to keep working on this thing. And that's when I decided to to start a company was. When I was like, I just want to work on this problem for five years yeah. with no distractions. I don't so have to want to think about anything else. We're in 2010 at this point. In 2011. 2011, 2011 now. You have some inbound interest, mm -hmm. uh, which is what, what I think most people should do is, is work on the thing, get people to love the thing, and then and make it more valuable so that they're not immediately going out looking for funding for it, if at all. So let's skip ahead to where maybe you started to bring on employees or maybe you started to have these investor conversations. Where does it start becoming the kind of startup that we all yeah. have come to know? So basically what happened was, you know, these investors would reach out and I would say, I have a job. I work at Pinterest and like Monday through Friday, like, let me, let's hang out on a Saturday or Sunday. And investors would say, sure. And so I, I would meet with investors and I'd say, how do I turn this into a company? Like, what do I need to do to raise money? And, you know, there's this, there's this common saying in, in Silicon Valley, like, if you want advice, ask for money. If you want money, ask for advice. And I think, I don't know if I knew it at the time, but yeah, I was just asking for advice. I was like, how would I, how would I do this? And it turns out if you're asking for advice on sort of how to raise money from investors and th that's their job, they're going to, they're going to probably offer themselves up right they're gonna be like well if you want to do this like i'll help you do this i want to because they want to be the first money in a lot yeah, of these if it's attractive do. enough if it's attractive I, enough. I, 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 if it's attractive experience enough. a lot less of that than yeah uh, uh, and certainly i think to them the, if it's the privilege con conversation is, is is a key part of this yeah. i think because i just like look and breathe like a startup founder you right. know like right. I, I i pattern match so well mm -hmm. uh that I'm certain a lot of these conversations would have gone differently if I wasn't so specifically like this type of person yeah. that I am with this accent yeah. um, and, and, and all these different mannerisms that I've sort of like consciously or subconsciously worked on, you know? And I think even my parents, like I was just talking to my mom the other day and she was telling me about how, you know, so English is my third language. Mm -hmm. I 
Gujarati was my first, Hindi was my second, English is my third. And there was this one school that I went to in New York when I was like three or four years old and they wouldn't let me, like, they were like, this person can't speak English. Like you can't take your kid to this, like this. Yeah. And, and at that point my mom was like, no more Hindi, no more Gujarati. Like you're speaking English for the mm -hmm. rest of your life. So I think there was even them that, you know, they'd come to America from India. Like they were very aware of the presentation layer, I guess, right. Of the UI UX of a human exactly. or something like that. And so, yeah, I think so. So I had these conversations with investors and Craig Shapiro from collaborative fund was the, was the first person to be like, where do I wire the money? Mm -hmm. And I was like, I don't have a bank. <laughs> like, do you just personally, what does that mean? Yeah. And so he connected me with a, with a partner from Cooley, Matt Bardis, Cooley LLP, the law firm. Um, and I had a great, and I highly recommend getting a, a good lawyer for this because they, they help so much more than just legal stuff. I think yeah. a good a one. That's, that's the key. One. Some, some lawyers are there to milk the time or to do things that don't necessarily need to be there. But when you find a really good lawyer, someone who will work with you for free is a good indicator. Mm -hmm. Someone who will like at the beginning yes, and he'll just give you their time. That's a really great indicator. But if you work with someone, they can, they can save you who's good. They can save you a lifetime of heartache. And what did you say you ended up taking total? I, the seed round was $1.1 million. And what is that in 2019 dollars? Would you, <laughs> would you say? Um, probably two oh, X, maybe two to three two X to probably. Three X, yeah. yeah. So like it was, it was a substantial half, amount of, of capital for a 20 something, 20 year old mm -hmm. who had done, built this on the weekend, but kind of, you had the exact pain point of of needing to be the customer, needing yeah. to find this, to mm -hmm. be your own customer. You'd seen some traction. You start, you were in the right place at the right time. And you started talking to people early on and getting feedback and, yes. and like, taking that feedback. Correct. seems really interesting. And I've always done that. Like I, everything I do, like now living in LA, trying to work on this animated series pitch, like I just love, like, I don't mind. And again, privilege probably plays a component. Um, but I love having these early conversations, like even before I'm ready to and always seeking advice. Yeah. And if you're authentic about it and you genuinely want to, it was always about making something. People don't want to help people make to get rich, I think. But if you're like, I really want to make this I thing. I want to build this I thing. I want to build this thing. Yeah. Uh, everyone wants to participate in like the building of something that yeah. might change the direction of the world. And so, yeah, there was super on board and I didn't have a deck. I just had gummer.com, which anyone could visit. Yeah. Uh, and I remember actually, uh, Max was, took forever to, to say yes. He was Max Levchin, the co-founder co of PayPal. And, uh, he's the reason we raised 1.1 instead of one is because we only had a hundred K left. And he was like, I, my minimum investment is $200,000. Yeah. Otherwise it doesn't mean anything for me. And yeah. I was like, wow, you're an individual <laughs> human being. Yeah. Uh, and I remember I asked him afterwards, you know, he asked for all these references and everything. And I asked him like, why did you ultimately say yes and said, no, you spent months literally thinking about this. And he said, you told me that like you could go to Gumroad and you told me the steps to sell a product. And it was just like, people tell me that all the time. And so I just, you know, and it's, it's not true. Like they exaggerate. And, mm -hmm. and so I went to Gumroad, I entered an email and a password. I entered, you know, I, I created a product, which was like a name, a price and a, and a final URL. It wasn't even file upload at that point. And it worked. Like I sent it to somebody, they paid me a dollar mm -hmm. and that was it. Like he wasn't even mad you were using Stripe no, to do it. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So he invested the, in Stripe. Yeah. Oh, that's right. So the, the ease of use and the, and the actual follow through of what you said I, you yeah, could do. I, yeah. And you know, it's, 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 it's the same today. If someone has a resume 
versus a product that they've built. The product it just speaks so much because it 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 shows a, a level of experience you've dealt with things that are mm-hmm. impossible to, mm-hmm. to sum up in, in in a resume or a deck yeah. or a, or a, or a pitch or anything like that. That's so important. Think, and try to apply that if you're listening. Try to apply that to anything, even if you're not an engineer, having something to show for it. Because I I have to say the I have an idea emails do not strike as <laughs> as impactfully <laughs> as you think they may. <laughs> where you know um, I have because more and more it's about what have what have you done and it doesn't have to be this major cost us money or anything like that so you have 1.1 what are the first few years like and and i remember you and i sat down in salt lake where you used Mm -hmm. to live can can you sort of summarize what you talked about that the the trough of sorrow basically the part where this was going swimmingly it sounds but things got real 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 fast how that happened yes yeah so things Really went swimmingly. We raised that 1.1, and then months later, uh, we raised seven million more. Started building out the team, grew the team to twenty over two and a half years. Built the product that the the growth was up and to the right. We were growing, sort of doubling, I think, roughly doubling every year. And I started meeting with you know we were running out of money. We were burning three four hundred thousand dollars a month, and I started meeting with investors that I trusted saying, Hey, you know, we're going to need to raise more money. We're really excited about this, all that sort of stuff. And they were like, the numbers are not good. Like if you want to raise a $15 million series A or a series B, sorry. Um, like you need to be doing way better than this. Like, and you know, they'd give me certain comps of different companies that they'd recently talked to or invested in or things like that. And the number in my head that sort of I took from that was 20% month over month. You need to be, which roughly leads to a 10 X every year, which if, 2x to 10x is a dramatic mm. difference. And I just think I'd given myself, I, I things had gone too swimmingly almost. I had so much of a, of a sort of a leash that there was nothing, no accountability that like two and a half years had passed. I'd built this great product. I thought that was the end all be all of everything. And that's all I, I that was what I was really good at and what I loved doing. Uh, and, and just didn't really sort of consider, I think as strongly like the, the value of growth, the value of distribution, the value of at the end of the day, investors are looking for a return. And if they yeah. see three or four years worth of data that says this might not return at a thousand X, it might be a great investment uh, even. Right. But, but, but like we, we, we're, we'd much rather make, make an investment in, in something that has a 1% chance of being worth a billion dollars than something that has a 90% chance of being worth 10 million. And that's very traditional. What we're talking about traditional yes. venture capital yes. investment. Kleiner Perkins, Sequoia, yeah, Benchmark. and a lot of times, more and more, we're talking about. I mean, this is a great case for that. Like we're talking more and more about alternative methods. Correct. I'm sure you're familiar with many of them, including uh, Bryce, but mm-hmm. even now, Jewel Burks, who was a was a guest on the show before, who's starting a fund with revenue share in mind and things like that for, mm-hmm. to keep ownership. That's awesome. Um, I think, but that's with the, that's with all of us having the luxury of hindsight. So you're right in the thick of it. Yeah. Do you feel like you at this point, right before this point, you had a little hubris going or do you feel like you're pretty grounded? I honestly, I think just to be honest, I think I had very little hubris. Yeah. I just was naive. I I think I I told myself a story that, you know, we had a, a really great team. We had really great investors. I just assumed that if it was really going to be as hard as it ended up being, someone someone would tell you would tell me. Yeah, uh, all these people with all this experience ahead of you mm-hmm. who have been there before. Yeah, conceivably. What I I think I realize now is that every every investor is in a bunch of different companies. 
and sort of it's your job as CEO, like you're, you're the, you're, you care more than anybody else about this thing. And everyone, it's almost like due diligence. Like every investor thinks every other investor has done the due diligence. I felt, I think it was like that where they're like, well, all these other investors that you have are amazing. So mm -hmm. they must be help, helping you. Mm -hmm. Like, um, and there's not a huge incentive for people to tell you that you might be screwing up Yeah. because if they tell you that and you don't screw up when you raise more money, you're not going to go to them, mm -hmm. presumably. You know, like there's just not a huge incentive. To, so you have to, to be, be self-reflective, self-critical in some time, yeah. some ways. And you also need to surround yourself, maybe not all the time, but at some point, maybe it's a quarterly conversation, a monthly conversation. Surround yourself with people who will tell you the truth. Mm -hmm. Even if they're not in your lane and they don't necessarily get everything that you do, someone who will say to you, you yeah. don't look well. Mm -hmm. Or your your team, I talk to your team. Your team doesn't seem to like being in the, at the office this many hours. Yeah, you know? totally. Giving you that inside information is probably the one of the best things you could ever do for yourself is to put that in place and not expect other people to these are all things we learn as we get older. Yeah. That we, we want to be able to save some other people some time. Yeah. And you know, like I think if I if I if I could talk to myself from ten years ago, I would have been like if you're not growing at this rate, which you just statistically, the startups that raise money are growing at this rate. Startups that don't raise money aren't. It's almost black and white in that in that sense. Freeze hiring, you yeah. know, recalibrate. Yeah. But I was, I think, you know, and I was talking to somebody else and he said, I think the thing that you've changed the most on is your level of patience. Because now I spent three hours oil painting. That's right. And I was at Pinterest for nine months and that felt like age, you know, like I, I obviously I'm older now too, but- I think I was so impatient. I don't think I would have listened to any of my own advice because it was, and I think that's maybe where that hubris would have been. It was all about just like this hyper confidence in my own abilities to break mm -hmm. through any wall, mm -hmm. but forgetting that like I need other people to help me do that. Hey, podcast listeners, I'm doing a little experiment, as you may have seen online recently. I want to incentivize you to leave a comment on Apple Podcasts and also give you a little gift for doing so, for taking the time out. I want you to leave an authentic review for your first million on Apple Podcasts. And when you do so, send me a message. You can DM me on Instagram. Arlen was here. A-R-L-A-N was here on Instagram. You can reach out to me by email or you can DM me on Twitter. Same handle. Arlen was here. Let me know your t-shirt size, your mailing address, and your full name. And let me know that you filled out a review for your first million on Apple. Right now it's for Apple only. And once you do that, we'll take your information down and we'll get a shirt out to you over the next few days. All right, everybody. Looking forward to seeing you in those shirts. Did you at that time say, I used to say I was going to be a millionaire, but when I was in high school, I said it was But by the time I was 21. When I was 22, <laughs> it was by the time I was 30. And once <laughs> I reached 30, I realized, oh, I don't need to even put a number on it anymore. Yeah. But back then, you would have been that age. You would have been sort of, Yeah. it would have looked like it could have happened. Were you all, Were you chasing the number? Because part of the, the meta-ness of this podcast is that it's not necessarily all saying you should go towards the million. It's yeah. about like what happens really. Yes. So did you yes. ever have this number in your, I want to be a millionaire by? Yeah, I th I'm sure I did. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure I did. I remember having like an Apple note little document and it would have all these goals. And I remember that, like doing the same thing. I was like, I'm mm. going to learn this many languages by this oh, age. Oh yeah, I knew I was going to, well, you already do, but I was going yeah. to be like, I'm going to know six languages, going to try everything. And yeah. Life will, will throw you, surprises and they're almost never in your favor like very rarely will you 
have learned those languages three years ahead of time, yeah, <laughs> it's always too late. It's all, your, your product's never yeah. too early. It's always going to ship too late. The building's going to take too long. Like we're very bad at factoring in the things that we don't know about. What's that phrase mm-hmm. to say that we, we, we tend to overestimate what we can do in a year and underestimate what we can do in five or something. Ten years. Like I think Bill Gates said that. Oh, yeah. yeah. Where yeah. it's like you, you really think you can do a whole bunch and it, you just kind of disappoint yourself. Yeah. But if you really sat back and said, in 10 years, I want to do this, you can probably overshoot that. Yeah. And it, that's, yeah. Now I think correct. in terms of, I'm going to be 39 soon. I think in terms of 50, 50, I want to have accomplished X, Y, Z. Yeah. How do you, at that point, you've raised 8 million, things are getting a little weird, you can't raise. Where do you go from there? So I started having some of these conversations with investors and they were, you know, at that point I was like, hey, would you invest in a Series B? And they're like, mm, maybe. That is a no, by the yeah. way. <laughs> yeah. Even the, I was like, okay, cool. I'll tell the team maybe. Uh, <laughs> they can pay their rent with maybe. <laughs> and, and and that's actually what I did. I Like January, uh, we had our, our yearly, sort of the big all hands and I said, we're going to try to, we have, you know, basically we have like a year's worth of runway left. Kleiner gave us $2 million bridge at a 4X liquidation preference. Woo! For, for folks that don't know what that means, that's, it means. That's, they had your ass in a uh, sling. They did. I mean, <laughs> no. <what> I mean. <laughs> it means no. it was, it was favorable to Kleiner Perkins. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was, but you know, desperate, sort of desperation. Uh, and Oh yeah, I've been there. Yeah. I've been there. Yeah. You do what you have to. Documented. I've been there. Yeah. So you had a bridge. You talked to your team. Yeah. You have a year, which is hell of a lot more than what most people walk in to these situations. Yeah. Able to say to their team. Correct. So I, I was like, this is the deal that Kleiner gave us. Like, it's going to be tough. We're going to work really hard. We worked uh, super, super hard, long hours, basically deprioritized anything that we felt didn't move the needle. And we said, I said, basically, we're going to raise money by September or we're going to basically have to let everybody go because mm-hmm. and we could either sort of let every like a huge chunk of the team go now, but we really do believe we can get there. There is a possibility, a path to getting that growth, pulling it off, raising money and continuing on the path. And no one's ever going to know that any of this stuff sort of happened. And we did that. We worked super hard. We shipped like an insane amount of features. And I talked to investors and they all passed. Mm. And that was a brutal experience because you talk to the best investors, they all pass. Then you talk to worse investors, they all pass. And then you start having meetings with people and you're like, I don't even respect these people. I don't want them to say yes. I don't, yeah. yeah. At some point I was like, there's just, this is just absurd, like just ridiculous. And so I told the team, like there's a sort of a go big or go home situation. Like we have to go home. We went from 20 to five. And the whole time, nobody left the company in that, in that nine month period. So we went from 20 to five, everyone got jobs in days or weeks, you know? Yeah. And then with that five, we got to profitable. And then we went from five to one, just me running the thing in 2017, 2016, mid 2016. And then for two years, that was basically it. And finally, mm-hmm. you know, the, the, the whole time, like the, the crazy thing is this roller coaster is happening on the inside, but the product's just continuing to kind of do its thing, right? Going up and to yeah. the right. And so I was like, okay, in two years, we'll have enough sort of cash flow. We'll be able to hire a team and get back to this thing or figure out what we want to do then. Yeah. Um, I have to say, this is tripping me out so much because it's exactly how I feel about backstage right now. Mm. I We have had to have layoffs this year. We've had to yeah. go lean. And in a lot of ways, it was expected. In some ways, it wasn't. It's always painful no matter what. Correct. Uh, when you start to develop a family, 
But at the same time, I think about all of the macro indications that are going, that are happening. And I think about what 15 months from now looks like. And I think about what, how lean we are and where we are going to be in 15 months. And I think, man, in two years, in 18 months, we're going to be turning down capital. Yeah. And we're going to have less than 10 people on our payroll. And it's so much better now because obviously like I love all those people. They made, they made Gumroad what it is today. hundred percent did. And when I wrote that that, uh, article about reflecting on my failure to build a billion dollar company, they all got, you know, I thank them all because they're so important, but that process made the company and me and the product so much stronger for it. Mm -hmm. And when, if, and when we get back to some of the grander aspirations that we had, we're going to be so much better for it. And they were part of, I think about people in seasons. I think about life in seasons, uh, what my value to other people are in seasons. I don't think that I'm necessarily valuable to everybody in my life all the time. I think I come in at the right time and people come into my life at the right time and building this company has really proven that out. Like the, there are things that we could not have accomplished were it not for certain people on our team, mm-hmm. but I wish for better and bigger for them. Yeah. I wish for us to be a stepping stone in every way. Correct. I th- I think that the only way is up mm-hmm. as long as you, as long as you don't basically die, like your company yeah. doesn't die or you don't die. Right. Yeah. Like I just, just believe on a mi- micro and macro level, like things just consistently get better. Yes. Not always, but long term they do. And it just goes back to that quote, right? Like you underperform in a year and you overperform in in it in, in 10 years or 15 years or, or what have you. I just f- really strongly believe that you have to trust your intuition. You should always be working to learn more. And if you do those things and you don't die, like you will almost inevitably, I think, find grander success in much, much better than what you were expecting. Mm-hmm. I think where I'm at now is as a human being compared to even where I would have been if I did raise the money and did that whole thing. Like, I feel like I'm just a much better human being. I want to talk to you about now. Before I do, you touched on that you released a a medium post. Mm-hmm. What was it called and how can people find it? Yeah, it was. it's called uh, Reflecting on My Failure to Build a Billion Dollar Company. Uh, you can find it on Medium. Just Google that title or uh, if you go to my Twitter account, at SHL, it's my pinned tweet. And it will be until I write something better. <laughs> SHL is S-H-L. your Twitter S-H-L. handle. And how many claps do you think it has? Or uh, fingernails, whatever it is. That <laughs> <laughs> claps is such a Because when you put stuff out, yeah. here's what I, I mean, I've noticed this. I don't know how you're, I don't know what the thing is. But when you put stuff out, when Jason Kahn put stuff out, you guys remind me a little bit. He was, yeah, Justin was also great. on the a previous episode. Check that out. You you put out these sort of Sahilisms. I don't want to say your name right. Sahilisms, and people are they come to the mountaintop to listen to you talk. <laughs> They're like, yes. So this, I would imagine, this post that was so, it, you know, it gives even more detail than what we've talked about today. It breaks things down, and it's so honest and vulnerable and self, you know, reflective. And it sounds like it was pretty popular. So. It did well. Yeah. I got a hundred, I think it's a hundred ten thousand claps or something. Hundred and ten thousand. I don't think I've seen that before. Yeah. I, I haven't, I've... I haven't seen it in any other article yet. Yeah. I'm looking for, for something. And so, now it's, now I'm getting the hubris. <laughs> so now we're, as you have mentioned a couple of times, we alluded to a couple of times, we're in Hollywood, mm-hmm. California right now. It's at my home office podcasting studio. <laughs> I have to say, I'll probably say this in the in- intro that Sahil is the first guest that I've had in the podcasting studio since I've 
had it sort of almost installed fully. So we're here and yeah. you're here and it's mm-hmm. not like you're visiting LA for a moment. You're here. You've been here for a few weeks. Yeah. A few, few months, months now. now. A few months now. Yeah. Tell us what you're doing. What are you up to? Yeah. I like moving. Uh, I mean, I moved as a child, but I moved to USC and then I moved to San Francisco and then moved to Provo, Utah, uh, which we didn't talk a lot about, but just briefly on that, like I mentioned the two years of waiting it out and I was like, I don't need to wait it out in San Francisco, <laughs> spending that much money. Uh, yeah. uh, just hearing stories about people that were killing it when I wasn't, you know? Um, and so I, so I left, moved to Provo and then, and then came out here. Yeah. Uh, a few months ago to uh, work on an animated series pitch basically called Gumrodians, which is about these content creators that live in this sort of UBI fully automated world. What is UBI? Universal basic income. Hmm. Um, yeah, basically this idea that everyone, everybody just gets money, just gets yeah. money. Uh, people may recognize that from Andrew Yang yeah, or they he, may recognize it from a few other people who have talked about yeah, he's that. He's definitely kind of been the, the, the newest. Yeah. I think, and I think even, even in the, the group that's listening now, um, it's something that we, it's kind of like something we've probably been, it's probably been looked down upon when we try to think about it as like, um, Mm. having you know uh, a stipend from the government or something but it's an idea of like what if everyone didn't have to what if everyone was kind of more on equal footing and didn't have to worry about where the where the rent was coming from or where their food was coming from and much like food stamps they could have this stipend of a thousand dollars a month or three thousand dollars a month what would happen as an experiment so it's something yeah, that a lot of people money on yeah what would their what could that unlock when it comes to their came to their dreams and their potential and so people because it's such a a huge undertaking some people have been sort of experimenting with it in certain cities or with yeah. certain groups and like like a petri dish to yeah, see yeah stockton california is yeah. messing around with that yeah so exciting. this this is a creative animate why did you think of animated so the the whole thing started because we help content creators sell content. And I wrote this uh, medium post that wasn't intended to be content marketing. It was just, I needed to get my thoughts out. I would have conversations they'd, with people. They'd have no idea what I was up to for the last like three years. They'd wonder why I was living in Provo, uh, all these sorts of things. So I was like, this is, I'm just going to correct the record. This is like the, the sort of the, 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 what happened. And it just, it became a, a much larger thing. And I just was like, I, I fell in love with content, I think. Now with Twitter, I think it's been really fun. But I just loved, I loved telling my story and telling, sharing my thoughts and being introspective. And fiction is a way to do that, I think, in, in a different context. And animation specifically, I think, combines so many art forms. And I think the sort of the thing I love about LA is just like the diversity of creative pursuit here is incredible. Like you have musicians, you have writers, you have directors, you have illustrators, you have painters, and somehow they all make it work. It works here. It feels like as close to the future as we see it as mm-hmm. Gumroad, you know, as a company that mm-hmm. wants more creators out there in the world, more creative people. LA is our largest city. I think part of that is because so many of the unions provide the healthcare. So it's easier for people to to not work and still make sure that they're going to be okay and to try starting their own thing and explore sort of more flexible working options um, in, in a way that's hard to do in places like San Francisco where everything's sort of bundled with a sort of a, a 40 hour a week job with benefits and everything like that and all these perks, et cetera. Um, and there's pros and cons, I think I'm sure to, to both approaches, but a- anyways, animation to me is just like, just beautiful. And it yeah. combines music, sound design, all these different things, technology, software. I just, I just think it's awesome. Uh, yeah. And so, and it's hard. 
I like doing hard things because I think I learn the most. And through Gumroad, Gumroad has a lot of uh, awareness in the art, animation, entertainment industries. Uh, a lot of painters, writers, and a lot because of these, you know, what we just talked about, there are all these people that have supplemental income through Gumroad. And so it's been a little bit easier, I think, for me to get in than a sort of a, to a total newbie meet folks and, and just ask questions like, okay, I want to make an animated thing about these concepts. Yeah. Like how, right. Just like what I, what I did with Gumroad in the early days. Like, how so do I do this? What is, what is your hope for the next few weeks and months here? I think best case scenario, I have an animatic by the end of the year. So an animatic is basically you take a pilot script, uh, sort of a screenplay, and then you turn that into storyboards, which is like an illustrator sort of like makes a little comic panel of it. And then you get voice actors to use those two things and, and, and voice act. And then you take the audio and the storyboards and the script and you basically compile it into a sort of a super low fidelity movie, a timed thing. And you can watch end to end that's sort of black and white, really scrappy, kind of the MVP. Yeah, it's like when the movies. when the Oscars are playing and they show best animation, they show a flip book basically yeah. to show the, the the construction of something Correct. a lot of times. And you see all the different steps yeah. that go into the final compositing and rendering yeah. of the image. And I want to get there because I think at that point I'll have a pretty good idea of like, is this a good story? Yeah. Is it funny? Is it entertaining? Are people going to learn something and think about something? Are the characters compelling? Their dynamics interesting? Things like that. And so I would love to get there. Okay. Yeah. Tell me as we start to wrap up, you said you get $6 million in like revenue mm -hmm. from it. What is, how does that translate to how many creative people and other types are able to sell their wares on Gumroad per year and how much is being spent out to them or deployed to them? Yeah. So we, we send out, so I think we just crossed a couple months ago, $6 million a month. So every month we send $6 million plus to creators, artists, designers, writers, filmmakers, yeah. educators. Because they, they individually are selling items or things or files or what have mm -hmm. you, ebooks, et cetera. Yeah, yeah videos, courses. All, all of that. Yeah. And $6 million worth of their wares mm -hmm. are going out and you take a small fee of that. Yeah. That equals over those 12 months a total of, another, of $6 million. Correct. Right. Exactly. How many people use Gumroad to sell each year? Um, we have last month eleven thousand six hundred and twenty-three. Mm. So I think to date around forty thousand people have made at least one sale. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, a little bit over eleven eleven thousand. I think mm -hmm. we'll end of the probably collectively over a year around twenty thousand people. Do you think you'd ever get back in the rat race and do because what I think of now is like the sky is the limit for you. You seem to have like a, a control of your life that you didn't have before, which mm -hmm. is really attractive to someone like me and to most people, I think. <laughs> yeah. But you also now, because you've been through that kind of, I feel like you're kind of, there's a resurgence of the company itself being attractive. For instance, and we can, you, you can tell me not to add this, but for instance, someone like a Patreon to me seems like tailor made to come in and say, Hey, we love what you're doing. We want to just extract that from you. Here's some money and you go off into the sunset. It sounds to me that you're, you're always going to be creating something. Yeah. What do you, what do you, I remember you put something in, you wanted, you wanted Gumroad to, it has a certain mission now. Yeah. How do you view all that? Yeah. So the way I think about it is 
Bill Gates actually has another little line that I love where he talks about creating value versus capturing value. And the best companies create as much value as possible, not capture as much value as possible. And we help creators. So I, th- I align with that strongly. And so it's all about creating value. You know, the, the post, we publish our financials every month. We're constantly experimenting with different ways to educate people, uh, our creators and, and other entrepreneurs. Um, we just did our first open board meeting, which is the first time, at least that I've been able to find, um, where you can watch like a, a startup board meeting, like what even happens in these things. So I think that's number one is like, how, how can we maximize how much value we can create? Um, I think too, I want to keep control. I have control over my life, I think, as you mentioned, and I'm, I'm willing to, to give some of it up for sure. I think there's always compromises to be made, but I just really value it. And so there has mm-hmm. to be a really good option. And I think Gumroad is such a great vessel for me to explore both the creative side of myself, which I sort of discovered in the last few years with writing and painting through Gumroadians and these other projects. And it allows me to sort of contribute on all these different other vectors like product design, people management, recruiting, um, thought leadership, et cetera, at whatever rate I feel comfortable with. And honestly, I kind of have like the personality of the last person I talked to. So like if I'm, <laughs> if I meet Well, a VC, you're going to be a very attractive gay black woman, my friend. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I've been waiting. Uh, we live in a new era. <laughs> Uh, it's great. Uh, well, but you know, like we, we actually talked back in 2016 when we talked to Patreon about, about being bought and I just couldn't, I, I just couldn't give up control of the thing. Yeah, I just, I, I think I'm the best shepherd for it. I yeah. really believe that. And, and there's a freedom that you have. And I, I talked about this recently where I was like, I would like Tyler Perry's freedom, not necessarily yeah, his money. That. Yeah. And I'll take both. I'll take it. But it's the freedom that you seem to have right now where you can chart your own course at the same time have a thriving company. Yeah. And we talk all the time about what is a successful company? Who gets to decide what that is? Yeah. And, and also, I think one thing I had to ask myself pretty deeply because I started having, you know, Gummer got profitable. I didn't have to work as much as most people have to work. And so I was like, if Gumroad was that billion dollar company that I wanted in the beginning, if we just hit every metric and we just did it, like what next? Like what would I have done? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, like what happened if I had $200 million in my bank account? Probably not much. I don't know. Like, I don't know. I, 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 I love what Tyler Perry's doing. I think it's phenomenal. And I'm yeah. like, I can do a small version of that now. Like why wait? That's I think right. Even your co- the company itself is doing a small version of that. Yeah. And I, I think there's this, I think, you know, sort of, uh, historically, uh, culturally, there's this idea that you, you, you put in the time and then you get paid, you work until you're 65 and then you retire. And I just don't like that model. I want to, I want to work until I die, but I also want to retire until I, like, I want to do both of the things, you know, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. I think the way we think about it, it feels like this black and white switch that, that goes mm-hmm. off. And I want to think about it like, well, I do like love working. I absolutely love um, you know, sometimes people refer to Gumroad as a lifestyle business. I have no problem with that. I have a great lifestyle, but I don't want to just have a great lifestyle. I still want to have an impact. I still want to create yeah. value. And so I think the zero to one, the blitz scaling approach isn't exactly where I'm at right now, Yeah. even though I empathize with it and I see the value and I certainly and you've was. Done that. And I've done you've that. You've done that. But yeah. I'm also not the super like Tim Ferriss four hour work week, just retire on the beach as soon as you can, because that's what you would do if you had a bunch of money. Oh God. It's too far. The other, <laughs> And it's not, and it's funny. Cause when I, when I tell, when I tell people like this other thing, they're like, Oh, you're just, that's what the norm is. <laughs> like you're just building a profitable business. 
Mm-hmm. Like that's what small businesses in America are. Have been. And have been. Started, yeah. And that's the real, that's the, the sort of the premise of the book I'm trying to work on is this idea that there's the, the kind of the default has been forgotten. And I almost feel stupid for saying we're a profitable business. Like you have to say that now instead of the default is now unprofitable business. Yeah. So you kind of have to clarify. Well, that's what's in the headline. Exactly. I think people have forgotten this. I, I think I'm a relatively smart person, but when you're surrounded by a certain culture and a certain way of talking about things, you just kind of forget, mm-hmm. honestly, that like this isn't the norm. The headlines aren't the norm, mm-hmm. the default. That very few companies, I think something like one in four or five thousand companies in the US are venture capital funded at all at, all. at any level. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I believe the vast majority of the jobs are created by small businesses and entrepreneurship, not venture capital funded business. I think venture capital is a great tool. I think there are great things that have come out of it, certainly, but it is just a tool. Absolutely. I think about that as as capital as well. Uh, I could go on and on about why I choose to call myself a venture capitalist and why I chose this route, but it has nothing to do with wanting to be a venture capitalist and choosing this route. It is an absolute tool to get for a means to an end. Yeah. And uh, representing something. And, and by the way, it's it's working. Yeah. It's doing what I had hoped it would do. Yeah. So and capital is incredibly powerful. Yeah. And it has not been evenly distributed and it needs to be shaken up. Yeah. That's what this is. I mean, I I almost put on like this as like a this is my my costume. Mm hmm. Uh, the, the VC world is my costume to do the thing so that you can see me do the thing so that you can be inspired and others can be inspired to do the thing. But it's it's to inspire and not to aspire. There's so many things I'll get into. And, and I, too, uh, uh, have just written a book. And uh, <laughs> <Awesome>. <laughs> all of that is in there, too. So check it out. And quarter two, 2020. Tell us again, how can we stay connected with you? Yeah, the best place is, is Twitter, for sure. So at SHL. Yeah. My email newsletter. Uh, every month I send out like an update on something related to the company. I want to basically open source a different part of the company mm-hmm. every every month. I'll email out whenever my I have paintings. I also have a Twitter account and Instagram account at SHL Paints. SHL Paints. Paints. And finally, you're listening to this podcast. You dig what you have to say. And you also realized, hey, I have stuff I want to sell mm-hmm. that are like file. Like give me two or yeah. three things people do sell. And then how do they sign up? Yeah, I think ebooks, ebooks, educational content, videos are probably up there. Software apps, HTML5 video games now. Like yeah. there's every every year it feels like there's just new stuff that's possible. That's great. Yeah, go go to gumra.com. You can sign up for free, get started, and let me know if you have any questions. Join 11,000 or so of your closest friends. Yeah. (laughs) And do it. It's starting to be a community. It's really cool to see. That's fantastic. All right. Thank you so much. Really enjoyed this. Thank you. Hey, so I'd love to talk to you and keep the conversation going. Find me on Twitter and Instagram at Arlen was here. That's A-R-L-A-N was here. Stick around too, because I will let you know when my new book is going to be in pre-order. Now that's coming out in uh, 2020. It'll be out as a real book. Oh my goodness. And it'll be you'll be able to pre-order it most likely this year so stay tuned i'll let you know all about that on twitter on instagram and on this podcast